Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Every week, we'll meet an amazing executive who will share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. You can learn more about Women in ETFs and the exchange-traded fund industry at womeninetfs.com. We have a freebie for this episode, our gift to you. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. Find out more about our show, see some behind-the-microphone photos, and get a preview of our upcoming guests on Instagram and LinkedIn. All these links are in the show notes. So... Put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we're talking to Sharon French. Sharon will be sharing her tremendous insight into leadership. Sharon and I have known each other for many years, and I have seen her in action. Sharon is a senior partner at the Tiffin Group, a fintech organization serving the asset and wealth management industry. Previously, she was president and CEO of Life and Retirement Funds for AIG and was instrumental in selling that business. Sharon has held a variety of senior roles during her 30-plus years in financial services, including senior strategic advisor to the CEO and president of BNY Mellon, and she served as president of F-Squared Capital. She received her BS in business management from the University of Delaware and earned her SEMA designation from Wharton. In 2019, Sharon was named Most Notable Woman in Finance by Cranes New York. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for inviting me today and to speak on a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I know it is, and it's so good to have you. But instead of stepping into the do's and don'ts of leadership like we might think to do, why don't we examine its essence? Why don't you tell me about the most transformational time you've had as a leader? Some of us might not um, have a guess at what that might be, but others will. But take us back there. How did you lead through that challenge and what did it teach you? Yeah, thank you. I don't often get a, a chance to talk about the challenging parts of leadership. So I think that's a really great question. To put it in context... I've been in the business world for just about 35 years, about wow. 25, 26 years into my career. And, and by the way, up till this point, as I had grown from a manager into a leader, I had mostly led teams through growth, right? So building businesses, kind of reorganizing and taking businesses to the next level. But but the the stage was a growth stage. The fun um, parts. The, I was just going to say, which is so much more fun when than um, the trying times. But right. I truly believe as a leader, I mean, that's sort of where you uh, refine your leadership skills is to go through a more challenging situation, which I did about 25 years into my career. I was hired by a firm um, as president to build out their discretionary business. So I had to hire traders and operations people and put in place a, a um, portfolio management system and client service people and salespeople and 
you know, the whole, um, the whole ecosystem, if you will. But shortly thereafter, the firm underwent what we, or at least I thought, was a routine SEC examination, which, as you know, the SEC is the governing body for our industry. And the examination yes. turned into an investigation. Mm. And at this point, again, for context, there was about 200 employees, maybe 220 employees, just about $30 billion in assets. So, you know, sizable company, yes. uh, certainly, you know, safeguarding assets of the, the clients that we served. And the investigation ultimately turned into charges that part of which dismissed the CEO, who was my boss, um, the company needed to file for bankruptcy and ultimately be sold. Mm. And so that was indeed the most trying time for me as a leader. This transpired over the course of about a year and a half, just short of a year and a half, so what I needed to do through that time was really leading through extreme uncertainty and in many cases, disappointment mm. because, you know, I'm a firm believer and maybe we'll talk about this um, a little later that, you know, leaders are to communicate clarity of thought and vision, right? Um, as you are building a company or taking a company to the, its next level of growth, as I noted earlier. But when you're going in the opposite direction, when you do not have, you know, you are not confident about what's happening next because you truly do not know what's happening next or you do not have clarity around the future situation because it was all unfolding over that period of time. What I really needed to do was to demonstrate compassion for the employees that were going through this tough time, be extremely transparent about what I knew and what I didn't know. And really the, the key task was to keep everybody engaged, you know, for at least a good year. I mean, I worked with the acting CEO who came in off the board um, to kind of unwind the company and work with the bankers to sell it. So that was an interesting period of time where I needed to exhibit different types of skills that I had not up to that period in my professional life. And so it it taught me quite, it taught me quite a bit. Managing through extreme change was not up to that point what I had a lot of experience in doing, but just being a real authentic leader, being very transparent, you know, really holding people by the hand, appreciating what they did every day, acknowledging that this was an uncertain time. You know, they look to me often every day, every week um, to sort of manage through this period of time. So for me, that was the challenge that I absolutely didn't see coming. But, you know, I'm happy to say that everybody who was a part of the company has continued to thrive in their career past this situation. Uh, I have still, you know, kept in touch with every single one of them. And, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm glad I went through it because I certainly <laughs> am not. Um, I wish that didn't happen to anybody who was a part of the company who was not involved in the charges. But it definitely sharpened my skills as a leader. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Well, I love the first word you used was compassion. So how did you recognize that need for compassion while you were going through something that was heart-wrenching, right? Yeah. Well, you know, listening. <laughs> um, a big part of being a leader is listening. And so I just 
that's what I did. I just listened to everybody in terms of uh, what they were thinking, how they were feeling, questions they had. And you couldn't help but feel compassion and exhibit compassion. So it was just something that naturally came out of me based upon the important act of listening. Right. And you must have had to mentor some of the leaders within F Squared during this, right? I mean, you had to also help them know how to communicate with the people there. I did. I did. And it's, you know, it's so easy to um, kind of jump to conclusion or form opinions. And I really tried to talk people out of doing that. The other really sticky part about this is we had, you know, it wasn't just the employees, although that was certainly the most important part, but it was the clients and our employees who spoke to the clients, right? How do we manage clients through this period of time? Because they were asking a lot of questions and quite frankly, a lot of the employees didn't have the answers. Right. So, you know, absolutely. There was a, there was a lot of mentorship. I certainly got involved in many, many, many conversations with clients on the front line, which in times like that, that's what you have to do. Absolutely. Must have been hard to budget your time where you thought you were going to spend your day probably didn't always end up that way. Those were long days. <laughs> Let's just say that. Absolutely. So based on that experience of going through that, learning new skills to become a great leader, how do you now define leadership? Has it shifted through that event? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's shifted as much as it's been refined. Mm. Um, So to me, the biggest thing about leadership is it's not about the leader. (laughs) (laughs) It's not about the leader. It is about really maximizing the efforts of others. So it's interesting because, you know, there's really no quote unquote right way to do things or to lead per se. You know, you you find leaders who are different in temperament, who are different in style, who are different in approach that don't really conform to a single model of leadership. You can have an introverted scientist, you can have an extroverted artist. What is important, and there are certain traits that I'll that come to mind that I'll talk about, but leadership really needs to be authentic to the leader. So those are the kind of the first two things I would say. Number one is it's not about the leader. It's about those that are being led and that um, it really needs to be authentic to the leader themselves. And so what I have experienced, what I have observed, I would like to share, and I've actually talked about one of them, which is the ability to listen, observe, and really change when necessary, which is, you know, really adapting to the needs at the time. And that that really comes from a lot of of listening and and observation. But the, you know, one thing that I shared in my story that that is important is this whole clarity of thought and communication. You know, great leaders think and communicate clearly. They describe a vision for the future, and the future could be a month, it could be a year, that people find compelling to work hard to achieve. You know, I think it's important to crystallize that in a way that people can understand it. In many cases, simplicity is really important. I know you and I use Amazon all the time, as probably many of your listeners do. And, you know, Jeff Bezos, I mean, from the very beginning, he said three things, lower prices, bigger selection, faster delivery. (laughs) Right. 
Very simple. Lower <laughs> prices, bigger selection, faster delivery. And I think you would say today, in all the years that Amazon has been around, that still is a business strategy that has carried that firm to where it is today. So clarity of thought and communication, I think, is really, really important. So we both sit on the board of women in ETFs, right? Mm-hmm. So clarity, vision from the beginning has been incredibly clear in terms of promoting diversity, promoting communication, you know, understanding how we can get content out to, you know, globally on the ETF industry. But also, isn't it helping people find their place in that vision, like how they contribute, like how they are part of the vision, not just the vision sitting on top of them? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Christine, back to women in ETFs, you know, in simplicity, connect, support and inspire. I mean, right. You know, we all walk around, whether it's the board, whether it's the leadership, whether it's the you know local chapter leadership, that's clear. Connect, support and inspire. And that's always been our mission and vision. And I think it will transcend time. Yes. And I think to your point, that sort of brings me to number two, which is Great leaders have great intuition and judgment about people, Mm. right? So particularly when it comes to selecting people that they're going to give, you know, responsibility and power to, whether it's where you're able to see hidden potential in people or whether you're going to be making tough decisions about people. But as you choose those people, um, you have the judgment about them that allows them to understand and allows you to work with them in terms of how they fit into the clarity and the vision that you've communicated as a as a broader kind of North Star. So uh, absolutely, uh, I think that leaders identify great people. I think they then work with each one of their leaders beneath them or their managers beneath them to make sure that they can be very clear about how they fit into the broader vision. Right. And in talking to you previously on this, that's like the big distinction with management, right? So management is about the tasks, getting the work done, and leadership is really about the people, right? That That's exactly isn't that right. Isn't that the essence? So, yeah. And another way I think about it is, you know, leadership is an art, <laughs> which is, and it's about the people, and management is more of a science, Right. And it's more about things. So, you know, if, if people is about being, you know, things is more about doing. So, you know, a manager is typically uh, more task oriented and is more focused on skills and knowledge, whereas leaders, because they are driving the people and the people are following them sort of up the hill, charging up the hill. It's about behaviors. It's about values. And I remember that change uh, in my own career as I grew to become more of a leader than a manager. Um, I certainly think you need to prove yourself as a manager before you come leaders. And, And Christine, I know you've seen this in your own career. What's interesting is not all managers can become leaders. Right. Right. They're very, very true. And I think it's all about that bit about judgment of people. It's about um, being able to clearly communicate. It's about personal integrity and commitment, which is not to say managers don't have personal integrity, but that people piece and leading people, not every manager can make that transition. 
Absolutely. And I, I think coming back to your word of authenticity is so important here, because sometimes it's really having to dig deep in yourself in order to become that leader that you're meant to be. So if the strength inside you is gratitude, you know, if, if you just feel that as you work with people around you, you know, drilling into that innateness of gratitude really helps some of the other things fall into line. I feel like sometimes people look at a long list of things they need to be and they put it on as opposed to looking inside and saying, hey, this is what I already am. Let me just lean into that strength. And sometimes the other things start to happen. And I think you explain that well with knowing that you listened and so therefore you needed compassion, but you had to have that innate desire to listen in order to even know what you needed to do next. There's no question. And, and you know, what I would add to that is, you know, leaders aren't always right. <laughs> no, um, being a good leader means being able to admit when you've made a mistake rather than acting like you were always right and having the mm. humility, having the humility to receive critical feedback oh. openly. You know, it means avoiding behaviors like favoritism, conflicts of interests, which are hard to do sometimes, um, inappropriate language. I mean, you know, you are you are modeling behavior for others. So, you know, leaders aren't always right as well. So that's that's another important part of the the whole picture. Yes. And having some grace for yourself, knowing that no one is perfect. No one can get this right all the time. I, I think that's fantastic. So Sharon, tell us another story. Who embodies leadership well? When you look out within your own career or, you know, just within our industry or even, even outside of our industry, who is it that you admire? Being a great leader yourself, who's a great leader in your mind? Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I... I... I don't know that I have one person, and I and by the way, I usually do look outside our industry. Um, so you know, I mean, two of of the women who I think are incredible because they have. I typically look at leaders who have overcome diversity, who or who have led through very difficult times. So you know, Maya Angelou is always at the top of my list. Mm. I think that in the same vein, Oprah Winfrey um, has overcome, you know, I mean, her life, if for those who've really dug into her past, I mean, boy, oh boy, by all accounts, she had everything against her. But the, I would say the one person I've always admired um, really is, is Winston Churchill, because he had such resolute leadership during one of the mm. most painful episodes in human history. And he was, you know, he was the savior of democracy at the time. He had the daunting task of leading Britain and the allied powers to victory against the Nazis during the Second World War. You know, he had wisdom, he had character, and he had the persistence to lead Britain on the brink of defeat uh, it, to victory in the most brutal war of really the 20th century, you know, so he, he led through, you know, it took him 40 years to finally become prime minister and he didn't give up. So those are some of the people that come to mind and there's not one and there's a long list, but in the past, we've been all about sort of hero leadership. And it's interesting. I think that the pace of change now, if we start from today or the last couple of years going forward, the pace of change is happening so fast now that leaders going forward 
I think will be those leaders who, you know, I think in business, you know, we used to always say sort of what we've done in the past works, so let's keep doing it. But the pace of change is so fast now that as we move forward, it's about how we can change to keep up with or be the leading firm in this area. So this whole issue around let's do this because that helped us or, or in business books, they call it kind of leading from the inside out. So here's what we're manufacturing. Here's this widget that that we're manufacturing inside that we're going to sell to the outside world. Now it's the opposite. Now let's learn that what's happening outside and bring it in. And great leaders are then going to change old ways to formulate a new path forward. So it's going to be more about collective leadership, I believe, going forward versus you know, in the past, a Steve Jobs, a Bill Gates, which was sort of more hero leadership, which does not mean you don't need a very innovative, visionary CEO. You certainly do. But so much has changed with the advent of technology in our lives that I really believe the strong leaders are going to be the more of the innovative leaders who can change quickly in the future. Oh, I love this thought of collective leadership, you know, and really understanding the ecosystem in which the gadget or the service or you name it needs to be delivered into. And that really, I think, goes back to what you were saying about be okay with your mistakes, right? Have humility about what you do because you're going to have to fail fast. If you're if you're willing to really take that leap of this is what I think the populace needs, you're not always going to get it right. That's exactly right. right. And fail fast is is something that I believe is more and more acceptable today than it ever yes. has been. Yes. And well, if you're going to if you're going to take risk, right? That's right. There's there's got to be it. And and you, you can't be a leader without taking risk. I, I don't believe. No, I, I completely agree with that. So a foundational to our women in ETFs organization is that we have a global audience, right? And many of them are young and looking to become the leader of the future. So what advice do you have for this next generation? Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? (laughs) Um, You know, and a lot of I want to talk a little bit about the millennial generation for a couple reasons. But a lot of us think that millennials are just getting out of college, which actually is not true. Millennials are in their 30s and building their careers and they're doing extremely well and are absolutely looking for inspiration and great leadership and advice. You know, millennials is the largest living generation or demographic group, uh, larger than baby boomers, second larger, second largest to baby boomers. Many of them are children of baby boomers that are going to be making up 75% of our workforce in the next three years by 2025. Wow. Uh, which is unbelievable. So we have got to get this right. <laughs> we have got <laughs> to make sure that we produce a lot of millennial leaders. And I have to be honest with you, Christine, I've, I've learned so much about this because I had a lot of questions about how to work with and how to inspire millennials. So I've gotten a lot of advice. I've certainly have read a lot. And everything that I've learned is about empowering their growth, right? So prioritize work that gives them purpose and meaning, because this generation is very innovative. They're very values-driven. 
They're certainly very tech savvy. They're super curious. They believe in diversity and global citizenship and they have agility. Like they can move quickly. So when you have older leaders who haven't really been schooled in the way that millennials have been raised, you have to institute more experiential learning or continuous learning, more teamwork, constant communication. Millennials are looking to be communicated to often and ask a lot of questions. Um, data, they uh, look to data to drive their decisions. This mm. is not gut intuition. They absolutely need the data. They have a tremendous amount of social responsibility. So I think in order to inspire the next generation, it's going to be really about empowering their growth doing this, what we talked about in the, in the earlier conversation around the pace of change. Um, they have already shown that they will work hard if you give them enough and communicate often and give them the data. So I think they're going to be great leaders if we empower them the right way, which gets back to, again, prioritizing the work that gives them purpose and meaning. That is the one thing that has come through about that particular generation of future leaders. Yes, and if you don't have the clarity on your mission and vision, how can you possibly do that, right? You know, That's so uh, that really just takes us, you know, kind of full circle back with the importance of that. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And and somebody, somebody, and I, I feel bad that I have been racking my brain as to who told me this and when was it in my career, because I've had a number of really important mentors in my life. And I still, I still meet with them for, um, you know, lunch or dinner from time to time. But one of them said to me, Sharon, it's really, you know, leadership, regardless of the time, whether it's, you know, Winston Churchill, or if it's 20 years from now. There's really three things. It's know the way, show the way, and go the way, right? Mm. So it's it's that that know the way is sort of the clarity of, and communication of the vision. The show the way is sort of the leading by example, show people how it's done, and then go the way is empowering and guiding everybody to then move in that direction. And it's so simple and easy to remember, right? Know the way, show mm -hmm. the way, go the way, that it has stuck with me for my entire career. Oh, that's great. And so thinking about that, you know, advice that you got early on. So thinking about some of our younger listeners that are saying to themselves, well, I am going to be a great leader. I just need to know what can I be doing now while I haven't been given the title. You had said earlier, be a great manager, understand your craft, understand how the work is done. But what else can some of these younger folks be doing to propel them into the leadership positions that they're wanting? Yeah, and I think it's about certainly strategically. I think there's there's um, strategy relating to the industry that you're in. So strategically knowing a lot based upon data and research about your industry and the future direction of your industry and asking questions about mm. the skills and knowledge that they need to build to be able to the to move in the direction of being able to provide future strategic direction to a larger group. Certainly, I always, always, always suggest finding a mentor that you have observed exhibits really great leadership qualities. Yes. And you know, one or two, as I have said, I've had many. 
And importantly, you know, developing what I believe are the tried and true qualities in a leader, which is being humble, being authentic, learning more about listening. You know, I think managers talk more and you need to be able to pivot to listen and observe. So some of the things are newer based upon technology and the pace of change, but some of them are tried and true. Absolutely. Absolutely. A good mix for sure. So to wrap things up, Sharon, as you know, because you've been such a good supporter, I'm a writer. I love stories. I love hearing people's stories. I think we can find purpose in ourselves as a result of narrative, and I think it can be really powerful. I think we can be challenged by a nonfiction book, or we can also be swept away by a novel. So what book have you read recently that inspired you? Oh, my gosh. And I know um, you are uh, so inspirational just in terms of your ability to communicate through through writing. I love it. <laughs> love it. Uh, I just simply can't sit down long enough. Um, when I get when I get a good book, for sure, I devour it. And I would have to say the one that I read most recently is a historical fiction book. And I absolutely love historical fiction. So please, mm. if you've got any recommendations, I'd love to hear them. But it was called The Engineer's Wife. And is a story about Emily Roebling. And Emily Roebling was married to Wash or Washington Roebling. And he and his dad, they were bridge builders, and they set out to build the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, This was in the 1800s, I think 1865. And, you know, Emily was a very strong-willed woman. She was involved with the women's suffrage movement. And she was really asked to kind of come into the business and do a bunch of things organizationally on behalf of of Wash and his dad. And he got very sick as a result of working on the bridge, Kaisan's disease he got. And, And basically, Emily more than halfway built and completed the bridge. And it was during a period of time. So nobody knew that a, that really a woman built a Brooklyn Bridge. So <laughs> I was fascinated by that in and of itself. But the story itself was unbelievable in terms of what she was up against in terms of culturally and politically and just being marginalized as a woman and what she had to overcome as it related to being a woman in the 1800s to playing the role of her husband. And so, you know, there's an incredible structure that I know I drive over quite a bit uh, frequently because of where I live, but it was just fascinating as a, you know, again, it is a factual story about a woman in the 1800s who built the Brooklyn Bridge and everything that she was up against in order to do that. And the, you know, the fact that she succeeded, she did give up on, you know, she couldn't be as much of an activist for the women's suffragette movement as she, as she wanted to be. So it did require some sacrifice on her part as well, but it is a fabulous book that I would highly recommend. Yes. And then going back to our word from before gratitude, it's got to be with gratitude that women like Emily that we view them that way because our ability now to see diversity within our industry and and globally is because people came before us. So thank you. Thank you for that recommendation on that book. And thank you, Sharon, talking with you with or without an audience. It's always a treat, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. I'm just blessed to be working with wonderful people like you and others in our industry as we all Me too. You know, we all work to refine. And I think that word refine is is important because we're always learning how to be better leaders. 
So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but can be transformational in your career. And I am rooting for you. And I bet Sharon is too. Once again, I'd like to remind you to go to womeninetfs.com to find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry. Please also check out this episode's freebie where I've listed some great resources on leadership and provided a bit of checklist for you on building your own skills. You'll find it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so. We have a season of incredible guests don't miss out. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, please let me know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.